I want to talk to you today about the cry of the soul. We're learning together from Dallas Willard's book, Renovation of the Heart, about God's renewal of our lives, and particularly in these days, our soul. This morning, before the sun had come up, there was a little bird sitting outside of the window of the little office that I use, and he was singing his heart out. It's like his job wasn't to make the sun come up. That was somebody else's job. His job was just to notice it and to praise it. And it's like he was saying to me, the stage is being set for this unbelievable, mysterious, magnificent gift of a day, of a new day. What thoughts might get thinked today? What deeds might get done? What people might get loved? What acts of kindness might get carried out? What creativity? Don't miss it. This is the day. And I was thinking of an old, old, old hymn. It's a Swedish hymn, almost all great works of art are. And one of the verses in it says, When through the woods and forest glades I wander and hear the birds sing sweetly in the trees, then sings my soul. And it would not be the same if we just said, then sings myself. Then all of me, will and mind and emotion, thought, body, together with others, join this great chorus from the depths of my being. God, you're so good. It's so good to be alive in this world. And I thought sitting there this morning, and that little bird, I just listened to him for, I don't know, 20 or 30 minutes. He just kept staying there and singing. This happens every day, but I do miss it. When my dad was uh, older, he got a hearing aid, and his comment when he got it, the first thing he said was, I can hear the birds again. What a good thing it is to notice the birds who are cared for by our Father and to have our soul sing. For the soul cries out, and if it does not cry out with joy and blessing and praise for God, it will cry out about something else. What is the cry of your soul today? This is what Dallas writes on page 207. The very first thing we must do is to be mindful of our soul to acknowledge it because we live in a day where the language of soul is so often lost. It's very important to just pause now and to recognize you have a soul. You are a soul. It is necessary to take the soul seriously and deal with it regularly and intelligently. We must be sure to do this for ourselves individually and in our Christian fellowships. Our pastors and teachers must emphatically and repeatedly acknowledge the soul as the living center of life that it is. And they must reassume their responsibility for the care of souls long assigned to them in Christian tradition. So I will now repeat emphatically, the soul is the living center of your life and to care for it, to allow God to care for it, is the most important task that you have. And my job is... I get to remind those of us in the fellowship of the withered hand about that. 
we were at Westgate Church on Easter, and it was so wonderful. Uh, we were talking during the greeting part of the service, and a woman turned around from the row in front of us. I won't mention names, but she told us who she was. She's from Pennsylvania. She listens to these, and she was out in California, and so she thought, well, I'll go to Westgate Church on Easter. So you never know where you're going to run into somebody who is a soul brother, a soul sister. Then Dallas says, we as individuals must own our souls and take responsibility before God for them, turning to others, pastors, teachers, for the necessary help. There is a stream that runs through your life, and the stream is your soul, and you are its keeper. How are things with your soul today? Dallas goes on, once we clearly acknowledge the soul, we can learn to hear its cries because the soul cry, but unlike our bodies often, which we might be quite aware of, it's very easy for us to neglect our soul, to miss it like we miss the sunrise. Jesus heard its cries from the wearied humanity he saw around him. He saw the soul's desperate need in those who struggled with the overwhelming tasks of their life. Such weariness and endless labor was to him a sure sign of a soul not properly rooted in God, a soul, in effect, on its own. He saw the multitudes around him, and it tore his heart, for they were distressed and downcast, it says in Matthew 9. Like sheep without a shepherd, he invited such people to become his students, learn of me, by yoking themselves to him. That is, letting, him, letting them know how he would pull their load how he would act with them. So the, the great danger to us is soul fatigue. This is different than just physical fatigue, bodily fatigue. We may often be tired. We may often be busy, have many things to do. Jesus was. But soul fatigue is when I become disconnected from God. And then I become vulnerable to anxiety because I think I'm in charge of keeping myself okay and envy because what if other people are getting ahead of me? And uh, ingratitude, it becomes uh, difficult for me to remember to hear the birds and feel the gentle breeze and look down from lofty mountains grandeur. And I become empty and burned out and I lose motivation. In Adam Grant's turn, I languish. These are signs of soul fatigue. Is that going on for you? Della says, what we learn primarily from Jesus is to rest our soul in God. Rest to our soul is rest in God. My soul is at peace only when it is with God, as a child is with its mother. So my rest finds soul during the day as I go from one moment to the next, like this moment right here. Now, God, I'm talking to my friends through this little telephone. Um, would you guide me in this? Help me not to carry the burden of this on my own, but depend on you. Would you say just what needs to be said in this moment? And it's not just me anymore. And this leads to something deeply profound. Della says, what we most learn in his yoke, beyond acting with him, so that's number one, we act with him, but then beyond that, what we most learn is to abandon outcomes to God. 
accepting that we do not have in ourselves, in our own heart, mind, strength, body, and so, the wherewithal to make this come out right, whatever this is. Even if we suffer according to the will of God, as Peter says, we simply entrust our souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. Humility is the framework in which all virtues come to life, Dallas writes. We simply have to rest in his life as he gives it to us. Knowledge from Christ that he is good and great enables us to cast outcomes on him. Resting in God, we can be free from all anxiety, which means deep soul rest. And I've told some of you how I would hear Dallas talk about abandoning outcomes, but I saw him do it. I saw him give a talk. And uh, he was able, when the talk was done, up, oh, I gotta move because the car's coming. He was able, when the talk was done, morning. Uh, I'm not in charge of that outcome. It just happens. Cars come. He was able, when the talk was done, to just move on to the next event in his life. He was just singing this old hymn under his breath as we were walking together. There was nothing inside his body that was saying, as so often gets said in churches or other places, wonder how that went. Wonder how that service went. Wonder how that program went. Wonder how that email went. Wonder how that talk went. If I still got it, now, this does not mean that we become apathetic or just float. It may well be in your life. We think about the uh, weight uh, that rests on outcomes in the Ukraine right now in a battle. Or in your work. You may lead a department or a group of people where the urgency is very high. So abandoning outcomes does not mean abandoning urgency. great example of this is a wonderful coach of the UCLA Bruins. Some of you will know him, John Wooden. And he won 10 titles in the space of 12 years, most successful coach of all times. It's very striking. I was reading a book about him not real long ago, and it quoted a number of his players, Kareem Jabbar, Bill Walton, and others. And numbers of them said this about John Walton. They said in their careers in the NBA, uh, every coach they had often would rant about the fact that we must win this game. You have to win this game. Do whatever it takes. And numbers of his players said John Wooden never one single time talked about winning a game. What he said was the great contest is the contest to do your best. It is the contest against yourself, against the sloth or fear or apathy that could keep you from bringing your very best efforts to the uh, fellow members of your team. That's the battle that we fight. And then the external score, winning or losing, in that sense, would take care of itself. Because you cannot control how well the other person plays. You cannot. The greatest winner who ever coached in um, college basketball is the only one that I know of who never talked about winning a game. Because we are to fight the battle that we are able to fight, and then we leave the outcome to God. We're very aware of outcomes. We allow them to guide us. When we're not being effective, we change. We do that quickly. We do it with great urgency. But our well-being is not at stake. Our soul rests in God. So now, what outcome do you need to abandon today?
What car is coming down the road? You just got to let it go by. You are not meant like Atlas to carry the world on your shoulder. Your work, your finances, your health. I think of somebody today going through surgery for a very, very serious condition. Your child, whatever it is, abandon the outcome. Let the soul's cry to God be one of his greatness and goodness. Guard your soul.